0: Welcome to another edition of TSC Music's Music with a Mission, where our purpose is to perpetuate and promote the Christian and positive idea through the medium of music and other arts. I'm Greg Thomas, and in the studio with me today, Jesse Carrasco. Hello. David Hamm is out on assignment, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, we're just glad to be here today. Uh, We are in the middle of a government shutdown.
1: Yes, we are. Not that
0: that's Christian news, but it is something that the believer is affected by just as much as the non believers so our responsibility as believers is to pray for those in authority. And uh, that's what scripture tells us to do, to pray for those, of course, who are in the place of making decisions in our Congress and in our White House, both on the left and on the right, the East Wing, the West Wing, amen, Across the street, uh, to just pray for all of them that God will uh, really take them back to a place, if they've ever believed, take them back to the place where they first believed and received uh, and get over this, you know, um, uh, and uh, we just believe in God for great things uh, for uh, this nation. And then, of course, for the body of Christ, who will prevail because the end of the book says we win. And so we're going to continue to believe that the end result of this is going to perhaps tap the rudder uh, on the ship of this country. And, of course, that the Church of Jesus Christ, will stand up. Rise and not just be seen and heard, uh, but that we can affect change in our society. So on that note, we have decided this week that we were going to answer some questions or at least try to, uh, that were, uh, presented to TSC music over the past few weeks. And, uh, we've covered several topics over the past year, uh, past two years. Actually, this is our, in our third year, right?
2: Yes. <laughs> Forgive the hesitation. I'm trying to count, actually. I think we're over three years now. Yeah,
0: we yeah. are over three years, and so we have tried hard not to miss a single week of this podcast, and God has blessed us with... uh uh, some wonderful guests, and uh, but tonight, or today rather, we are not going to have guests. We are going to be answering some of your questions, many of which have come through the info at Times Square Church, through music at Times Square Church email addresses, some on our Facebook page, and through Twitter. And so we're going to try to answer as many of them as possible. Those are that are relevant to the purpose of this podcast, and again, our purpose is to perpetuate and promote the Christian and positive idea through the medium of music and so stay with us we'll be right back after this quick break and we're going to jump in to answering your
1: questions god is incredible god is with you god is aware of your struggle god is ready to forgive god is power god is your friend god is a good listener. god is for you god is willing to god help. is and always will god be god is able to god protect is god good is power God is, a provider. God is Jesus. God is here. God now. is the one who loves God you. God is merciful. God merciful. is the husband to the widow. God is the one with your God answer. is there when no one else is. TSC Music Radio, where God is.
0: This is Carter Conlin from Times Square Church in New York City.
1: In Psalm 142 in the Old Testament, the psalmist David, the King of Israel, had a cry at one time in his heart. He talks about bringing this cry unto God. He said, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. He felt overwhelmed. He felt that the way he was walking in, he had no strength. He looked to his right hand and no one was there to help him. Any kind of refuge he pursued seemed to fail him. He said, I cried unto the Lord and I said, You are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Help me, for I am brought low. Deliver me, for the things against me are stronger than I am. Then at the end of this psalm, he says something incredible. He says, the righteous will compass me about, for you will deal bountifully with me. In other words, oh God, you're going to help me, and people around me are going to see it and know that you're God. It's time to pray.
2: To find a prayer meeting in your area, visit nycprayer.org.
0: And we're back, and as I explained before the break, we are going to try to answer some questions that have been posted to our uh, various social media, uh, outlets. And, um, Jesse has got, uh, a number of them over there. I um, do. And we're gonna try and go through them. None of them, not, they're not all related questions, but, uh, they are all, uh, uh, from people who are listeners here. And then, of course, people who are part of the body of Christ. Am I right?
2: Absolutely. So we put out on, on Facebook, on our social media, um, that this would be the first of a series of Ask T S C music podcasts. And uh we, you know, solicited questions, said, you know, we're gonna be bombarding Greg Thomas with whatever you wanna know, life, ministry, music. And our our social networks were a little shy on this topic. Mm. So I'm hoping that this will maybe spark some some more questions. So well, we I'm got, kinda glad. That well, they were... <laughs> <laughs> so we did crowdsource a few questions here in the office amongst you know uh, people who are in ministry here who are working on the staff, um, some of whom we know are active listeners of the podcast. Um, and it, through some conversation, I was able alab- I was able to uh, solicit or elicit a few more questions than people may have been uh, bold enough to put out there on Facebook. So,
0: uh-huh. you ready? I'm ready.
2: All right. So this one actually did come from a from a Facebook follower. We're going to start with this one from Linda on Facebook. Posted this today, and just for those of you who for those who don't know your story, Greg, she wanted to know how did you become a Christian.
0: Wow. We don't have time for that one. Do All right, we? <laughs> your testimony in
2: two minutes. What's the short version? Sure
0: version is, I was practically born at the altar, but I wasn't a Christian. (laughs) Uh, Born in a Christian home, my mom was very active in church, and uh, it was mandatory that we were in church until we were at an age of accountability and able to make the decision on our own. Uh, I'm the youngest of six, and so I stayed, because at an early age, I was interested in music. Um, And that, that interest came as a result of my sister, who was taking organ lessons at the time, She probably took organ lessons for about a month, and my mom had bought this cool organ at our house. So we had like this massive uh, organ at our house, and uh, I look back at it now; it was a real waste of money for my sister. You know that mom would have bought it for her, but I I ended up staying interested in it, and uh, uh, I would get dragged to church week after week, and um, uh, so the music is what attracted me. Really, I was in the church. The example that I had as a Christian was my mom, period. Uh, There were other people, but she was the uh, primary uh, 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 attraction, for lack of a better term. Uh, And then Jesus became the main attraction. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was around age 20. I was sitting on the organ uh, at a church where I was playing for, and I had played for many, many churches by this time. uh, But I was sitting on on an organ at one church one Tuesday night and feeling empty, And I knew that this wasn't right. There was something wrong. I was uh, doing concerts Friday night, Saturday night, multiple services on Sunday. And Monday morning would be just as spiritually ignorant and empty and just dead and broke Mm. uh, on top of that. And I just knew it was more. And uh, one Tuesday night, I was still working for the sheriff's department in, in New Jersey. Uh, and so I would go to church Tuesday night in uniform, and I'm on the organ in uniform. So everybody knew I was going to work right after service because there was no place to change when you got down to the department. And uh, I got off the organ that day, that night, in the middle of the sermon. Because while I'm sitting there the whole time, I realized now that it was the Lord dealing with my heart, dealing with me. There's There's more to this than what you've been doing. And I got up and I left. I left that church because I realized I wasn't growing there. I realized that I was really only there for what I was bringing to the table. Nobody was ever really that interested in my walk with the Lord because I was pretty much free to do whatever I wanted to do. And I knew that that wasn't good either. And I left that church that night. And that's been 30 years almost. And I haven't been back to that building since then. Uh, and I left there, walked away from everything, every community choir, every other church affiliation that I had walked away and I pursued God. And for about two weeks, nonstop, I was just having the, I was in the deepest valley, but headed to the highest mountain in that two week period. And I came out of that uh, with a whole new perspective on what it meant to really walk with God. So that's in a nutshell, my story. I've been doing it ever since.
2: So you actually became a Christian when you walked away from. A, I walked a away
0: from Christian stuff. <laughs>
2: yeah, and in that two-week period, you said you were pursuing God, and you and you came out changed. What What did that two-week period entail?
0: It entailed an, an absolute stripping away and an unpacking because I had packed so much stuff in my Christian in Christianity. I had seen so much stuff. And and like a pigeon, for lack of a better term, who will pick up anything on the ground, (laughs) everything that I had experienced in the church, I was just picking up and throwing it in my bag. You know, it was it was part of church. It was the the way we did things. It was the way we talked. It was the way we dressed. It was the number of services you went to. It was how many times you showed up for the prayer and tarrying service. It was all of these things, when where that you had to do that ultimately left that ultimately left me empty. There was no relationship, but there was a lot of works, a lot of works, a lot of things that I needed to do, a lot of places that I needed to be, every Sunday needed to be uh, on my post, but nobody seemed to be, at least to me, uh, concerned with my walk with the Lord. And so I, I walked away from it and got, got real with God. Bought my first Bible, I still have that Bible. It's in my office.
2: All that time you've been been working and serving in church and never had a Bible? They didn't own. even have
0: a Bible. Yeah. So that's when I got my first. I bought my first Bible, and I still have that Bible. I still use that Bible. It's falling apart. It's got tape, crazy glue, monkey glue. It's got all that stuff on it, but it, it, the pages still work.
2: Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's a somewhat of a follow-up question from that. If you fast forward a, a bit, um, how do you balance ministry, family, and work? How do you do it and how what would what would your advice be for either people volunteering in ministry or those going into full-time ministry
0: that's a good question um because there was a time in ministry when I didn't have to balance anything it was just me uh and today having a wife two children uh home responsibilities I'm a homeowner and you know um So a lot of that now has to be balanced. I have to balance, you know, the time I mow the lawn because I do mow my own lawn, (laughs) you know, between the, you know, and the time that I spend, you know, out in the yard with the girls and the time that I have to be here, I have to balance all of that. And we're homeschooling. So I remember a time in ministry when I didn't have any of those responsibilities. I came and went as I pleased. Uh, I could hang out after church, you know, fellowship with small groups of people. Uh, or not. I wasn't a big crowd person, but um, there were small groups of people that I would uh, fellowship with. Uh, and I realized in uh, after I got married that all of this was going to change, and that the people I used to hang out with after church, I, I probably wasn't going to hang out with nearly as much. Uh, and it's funny you ask me that because just yesterday, my good brother Derek Griffin and I went to lunch. Uh, we promised ourselves we would do this at least once a month. Uh, he was best man at my wedding and we had a wonderful time, uh, yesterday at lunch talking about this very thing. You know, just balancing the two. I think you, uh, if you're in ministry, you have to balance the two. I think God requires us to balance the two. We can't effectively do ministry here if we're not doing ministry at home. And we certainly can't do ministry at home if we're not doing ministry here. So the two really have to co- coexist. Uh, I have to be a father. According to the word of God, I have to be a husband, according to the word of God. Um, um, and uh, I have to be responsible and accountable and all of those things, according to scripture. And I have to do the same things when I'm here, you know, the different ways. But in the office that I work, work here, and am not. I mean, the spiritual office, uh, I have to have those same. Uh, characteristics in line and they have to be in line with the word of God. And so the way to balance it is simply, it's really simple. It's not a a one, two, three step method. It's not a, uh, you know, a 12 steps to Christian growth kind of thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it really is simple. It's do what you have to do and do that unto the Lord and allow him to do the rest. And so when I have maxed, maxed out my ability, my reasonable ability, God is beyond that. He, he's the step beyond that. He's given me the strength to do the next thing. And so, you know, it's everything from balancing my, you know, we've been talking about it all year. Simplify. Yeah. You know, this was one of the key things for me this year is that I had to be in a place where I had to hear from God in order to manage my time better, to manage uh, the things that I have to manage just in, in general, the department, uh, the areas of the ministry, things at home. And put those in order, and I think biblically there is a there is an order in which God has, has uh, I think strategically orchestrated for us, and that is uh, you know Pastor Davis said it this way, and I think Pastor Carter often says it. if you if you take care of my house, I'll take care of yours. That's that's God's promise. Take care of His house, He'll take care of ours, and I think it works both ways. Um, and so there the the ability to do what we do when we recognize that that ability comes from God. And that he is then beyond our ability. In other words, when we run out of steam, when we run out of answers, when we run out of organization, when we run out of plans, God can then move in and do his greatest work in us. And so uh, I think we do all we do with God. We do all we do as unto the Lord. And then the rest is in his hands. That's how we. That's how I balance it.
2: <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So uh, then the next question really kind of flows out of that as well, then how do you keep your zeal for making music for the Lord?
0: How do I keep my zeal for making music? You know, I I wish I made as much music Mm -hmm. (laughs) as I'd (laughs) like to. (laughs) Uh, It's funny, I was sitting in the office today, I called Colin in, because Colin is our 20 year old uh, intern, and uh, I was going through some music, um, uh, cleaning up my iTunes library, and I notice all these files that didn't have titles. And so I start clicking on them. And lo and behold, they are live recordings of stuff that I did 20, 30 years ago. Wow. I'm talking high school choir, my first group, <laughs> you know. And so I'm listening to this. I'm like, my goodness. And so I start looking, fishing for the dates. And some of these services that I, that I have recordings of were like in 1981. Wow. I was a freshman in high school. So I call Colin over and said, Colin, when were you born? He says 19...
2: seven. Ninety, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I call him over to my office and I said, I want you to hear something. So I let I start playing some of these tracks for him and I'm telling him that this is my high school ensemble, you know, or this is my uh my community choir. And and all of these recordings are older than he is, yeah. but they are songs that he recognizes because the songs were still we're still doing. Yeah, uh, which was interesting. Um, so I, I and some and many of them I wrote. Like he heard some of the original songs from Sent by God before ah, the play was even wow. written. So he heard the original recordings of those, and so, cool. um, I I think the zeal is is there because the motivation hasn't changed, mm-hmm. and the motivation is the love of the father. I say that all the time. Uh, I am motivated because I love Jesus. That's my motivation. That keeps my zeal. That, that, because what he does in us and what he does in me, birth out of that comes the song. The song comes out of what God is doing in us. And so this, you never run out of material. You never run out of steam. You may not have that creative flow right now, but you really never run out of that zeal for God. And if you do, then you you know, you need your rudder tapped, (laughs) you know? Uh, So I think it, it is maintained by spending some time with him every single day. It's every morning. It says it's that one hour that I get when I come into the building and I don't answer the phone. I don't stop by anybody's office. I go straight to my spot and I spend that hour either either reading uh, or writing or doing something that allows me to commune with God. In a way, perhaps that I didn't on the way in, sitting in traffic. <laughs>
2: yeah. All right. So you mentioned, uh, you know, that some of these are songs that we still do, or that uh, that that we do here at Times Square Church. Um, how do you choose songs for the choir or for worship? Like, what are you looking for in a song?
0: I, I'm always first looking for content. Uh you know, there was a time when I would be looking for the hook you know see if the song grooved enough or if it moved me or if it was musically interesting it's got to be saying something i've never moved anymore and I, I think that's a sign of my own spiritual maturity i would think um that i'm never moved just by the hook and by the musical elements uh it's got to be saying something and it's got to be saying more that i'm going to get mine you know or lord bless me or Me in My House, because there's a lot, there's a plethora of those songs being birthed today that are just, it's like somebody took a jar of lyrics and a jar of chords, shook them up and threw them out on the table, scattered them out and just said, okay, this is the next song, you know. No rhyme or reason, it's just words and music. Uh, I, I'm looking for content, I'm looking for songs that point people to Jesus first, that point me to Christ, you know, that remind me of my absolute need for him, uh, uh, and that, uh, you know, I'm nothing without them so that I don't ever get uh, caught up in myself. You know, songs that keep me uh, in need, <laughs> you know, and it remind me of the faithfulness of our God. And then I'm looking for songs that I can find in the word. If I can't find that message in scripture and it doesn't line up with scripture, uh, then I'm, I'm going to have a problem with it. You know, I'm probably not going to be is I'm not going to jump. Now, I'm not saying that every single song has to have a scripture verse in it. That's not true. <laughs> you know, um, uh, although that would be nice, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but not every single song has scripture verbatim in it, you know, uh, but I am looking for a message that I can then back up with the word of God. And then of course the third thing is it's got to have a musical interest. I've got to have a musical interest in it. And I don't care if it's gospel or if it's CCM or if it's folk Christian or Christian jazz or whatever you call this other stuff that's out there now, um, it's got to it's got to have a musical. I got to be musically interested in it. Well, that's how I choose for the choir.
2: So, if that's what you're looking for in a song for the choir to do or to do in worship, what does the the life or the the ministry of the person or ministry that wrote the song? How does that play into it, or does it at all? Because I a good just question. because this was a, a conversation that came up as as we we're uh, kind of discussing questions for this podcast around in the office, right. and you know we were discussing different artists or songwriters or you know uh, worship ministries that are out there where the lifestyle of the person who wrote the song may not be righteous, mm-hmm. or theologically the ministry may be having some things going on that we may not agree with and yet they're writing songs that fit in that fit all the qualifications that you've just mentioned mm-hmm. what do you say to that or do, you know what are your thoughts on that question I, I
0: think we first of all we sing a lot of songs by a lot of writers and this is across the you know across the globe even non-christians you know some of your favorite, Secular songs are written by people who don't necessarily live the life they write about. It's scary as it is, but it's, it's the reality. You know, uh, some people are just entertainers because they're entertainers. Uh, and so they write what's appealing to the crowd, what's hot right now. Uh, and unfortunately, in the church, it's the same thing, or in the body of Christ. Uh, if we had a microscope to look at the lives of every writer of every song we've ever sung in the church, we probably wouldn't be singing these songs if that was the determining factor. I mean, think about think about songs like uh, like His Eyes on the Sparrow. You think about songs like uh, It Is Well with My Soul. You think about songs like Amazing Grace. Uh, think about some of these other songs with Spafford and some of these others who wrote some of these incredible hymns, who were former slave owners, who were um uh crooked businessmen, you know, <laughs> uh, and it wasn't until a life changing event took place in their lives that caused them to to uh to have to change and write and, and write these songs. Well they didn't get saved overnight. And here's the other part about that, is that I think sometimes, in fact a lot of times, God will use even these flawed vessels to bring glory to his name. Mm-hmm. Look at us. <laughs> you know. Uh now we're not we're certainly not who we used to be. We're we're certainly not the wretch or the wreck uh that we used to be. Uh but we were. And and the and the truth of the matter is the first Christian song that I ever wrote was was t- was titled God's Working Miracles in My Life. And was I wasn't even a Christian. <laughs> I didn't even know what a miracle uh-huh. was. But I just heard it. Yeah. I knew it. I I, I heard it preached. I heard people say miracle. And I, and, you know, he's been so good to me, you know, these little cliche ish uh, phrases that we captured. And my first song was God's Working Miracles. And I didn't know what a miracle was, you know, I had never experienced a miracle that I was aware of, but I certainly sat down and wrote it. You know, when I wrote uh, I Won't Look Back, I was a brand new Christian. Uh, now, I had a lot to say then because I definitely was talking about not looking back at the things that I had walked away from. Yeah. But I hadn't really experienced or hadn't really uh, attained any real knowledge about heaven yet either. Mm-hmm. But I was writing about it, mm-hmm. you know. So I think a lot of times we write about things that we want to see happen in our lives. We, we write about things that we uh, we read uh, in Scripture that we want to see God do. Uh, so when it comes to writers who write songs... And their lifestyles are not necessarily in line with uh, uh, the songs that they write. I, I do believe that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. And he takes those little, beat, those little songs and will, will scatter them across the country, across the world, across the globe. And the whole church world will be singing it. But the church of Jesus Christ is being strengthened as a result of it. And the individual who wrote it still has a responsibility to either live for God because they're going to have to answer for it. Well, what about this song? You know, it's going to come a day where they're going to have to answer for, didn't you write that awesome song and and we don't get to see you in heaven? What's that all about?
2: Wow. <laughs> you know? So is there a line or is there a a point at which you would say or where you would look at a, a writer or a ministry or whatever and say, wow, you know what? I really don't think that we should be doing their songs at this point.
0: There are some songs. There are some writers whose music... I've never done and never had a desire to do. Um, I won't what, mention their names. But, but what, what is
2: the determining factor I think there the determining
0: factor there is that they've become so spotlight and have become so on the mainstream, uh, and, and, you know, on the main scene, that I, I'm just not comfortable even putting their their name on the screen, mm. on the projector. Uh, because, because it's
2: it, an endorsement of them? Because or? It, it, well,
0: I think it, it endorses them. Uh, to some extent, you know, because if that, if that music is on the screen, that means we're paying for the license. (laughs) Well, there you go. To to some extent. But the other part of that is, again, if I know about it and I still feel, you know, because I, I, I'll I'll give you another example. And, and I want to use names, but I can't, but I can't. But there are, there, there are two writers who wrote some incredible songs. I'll give you the title of a song. Uh, for years, I've been singing the song. Uh, I bowed on my knees and cried holy.
2: Yeah, that's a great song.
0: Great song.
2: And, and you do a great version of that song. Oh, thank
0: you. Uh, and for years I've been singing that song. And I and, um, remember the first time I heard it. And I remember the gentleman who made it popular. Super popular. Huge name. And, I don't know, two, three years down the road, I find out, you know, and it's on national news. Famous, well-known Christian singer, you know, in adult in an adulterous relationship, complete fall from grace. I'm, and this was I don't know, fifteen, twenty years ago. Uh, I mean, major scandal we're talking, yeah. and hit the church community. Everybody's like, "What? This is impossible! I can't believe this!" Yeah, yes, it was this person who who helped pin the words and helped make the song uh, uh, a, a hit. And people were singing it all over the all over the church community, and a complete fall for grace. But that didn't stop me from singing the song. The song did what it was supposed to do, mm-hmm. in spite of the individual who wrote it. Um, and then the reality is, is that we could look at everybody. If we again, and I go back to my opening statement, and if we had a microscope to look at the lives of every single person, and that and their lifestyles determine whether or not we sing a song that God anointed them to sing or blessed them to sing at that moment, or to write at that moment. Where would the, all the good music come from? Because we're all sinners, yeah. saved by grace. You know, Scripture reminds us that such. Were some of you, you know, the liars, the fornicators, uh, uh, the the murmurers, the complainers, and this, that, and the other. Uh, such were some of you. You know, but His grace is sufficient, and uh, and I think He still uses these things to edify the body of Christ, turn a sinner from sin, uh, and 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 grow the grow the church.
2: So without then, if that's an example of a song that you would continue to do, you know, regardless of of Mm -hmm. where this particular songwriter has fallen, you know, without naming names of songwriters or ministries, but like, what is the kind of line of sin or whatever to, that you, that would make you not continue to do a song or that you would say, let's not do this music at Times Square Church?
0: I've never thought about that, and I don't know that there is a line. If the song does minister, mm.
2: so it's really because more it's bigger about the than song. the person. It's
0: it's about the people.
2: Yeah,
0: it's bigger than the person. It's about the God we serve, and so I think you can still write that song. Because see, I don't believe I don't believe that an individual can write a song that that touches the heart of God. If he has never ever experienced God, you, you understand? I don't. I don't think God will actually avail Himself to a vessel has that is. I mean, He's always available. Let me let me rephrase that. He's always avail availing Himself, but I don't know that He would deposit that kind of seed in an individual who has no intention on living for Him, no intention. Uh, I don't know that He'd do that. Uh, now I could be wrong. I may get to heaven and He's, you know, maybe a very. <laughs> but I don't. I don't think that He would do that because god is not a wasteful god you know and if he knows that a person has no intention of living for him then why even give them the satisfaction of getting the glory of man Mm. you know under the auspices of doing it for god
2: yeah
0: so uh, i don't know that there is a line other than the fact that if somebody writes that song and it's got a god stamp on it as i use that phrase um uh they they had to have had an experience with. I mean, you, how do you write a song that I bowed on my knees and cried holy, and it become personal like that? You know, it's a personal song. It's, I mean, I I had this experience, you know, and 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 you haven't had that experience. You haven't read Revelations, you know. You haven't gone through the book, you know, or, or any part of the Bible for that matter. So, I think God uses uh, uh, who He chooses. And uh, and he blesses them with what's necessary to produce what he needs to produce out of them. And again, ultimately, it's for his glory.
2: So there are some ministries, though, that we won't necessarily do their music here. Like, why? Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, there are some ministries who have some um, uh, off theology. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, I don't do any songs. I don't care who writes them. Uh, that... Only speak about what I'm going to get for God. You know, my blessing, my this, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, that kind of stuff. I, you know, to me, it just leaves people hot and sweaty and, and empty. <laughs> you know, so uh, and so it doesn't matter who who wrote it. Those kinds of songs just don't, uh, in my opinion, don't edify. They don't. They don't. Um, they don't. Ed- they don't grow me. Let's put it that way. And so uh, and. So those are songs that I I just won't do, and those can come from individuals. They can come from ministries. There are ministries, ministry movements that are cranking out songs on a regular basis. You know, Hillsong does it great. They they have a plethora of they have amazing writers. You know, now do I like everything that comes out of there? No, but there's a the the good far outweighs the bad. You know, and when I say bad, I don't mean that it's some wacky theological thought. Uh, musically, I may have a preference uh, or, or not particularly care for it. Um, but then there are ministries who who focus their songwriting process on a off-based uh, theology. And so, yes, uh, those are songs that we're not going to be gravitating to. Um, and probably not songs you're going to hear in mainstream Christian music anyway. So know?
2: if that particular ministry who has kind of a, of off base theology did write a song that is sound. Because you know, in mm-hmm. any in any movement or theology there's gonna be truth mixed right, with right. untruth. Right. But if they write if that particular ministry writes a song that is on the truth side, right. you would steer clear of it altogether though.
0: Again, I think it goes back to my previous statement, and that depends on whether or not it's again, truth one, two it's musically catchy enough yeah it, it it works and so again I think there are times when when uh well God will just anoint a song and just say hey no this is in line you're missing everything else <laughs> but this is in line and this is going to edify the body yeah
2: all right so let's take a break because that's a lot of good stuff there and uh, we'll come back with a, a few other questions and and uh, keep at it
1: Why on my clothes, I don't use anything but nature's bounty soap detergent. If you're having trouble sleeping, you just might need a cloud nine mattress. Tired of searching the airwaves for something meaningful to listen to these days? Well, on 570 AM, Times Square Church meets every Sunday night from 6 to 730, right in the comfort of your own living room. You will be blessed with preaching from God's Word, worship with the Times Square Church Choir, and awesome testimonies of lives that have been changed and are now being used for God's glory. So come and join us every Sunday night from 6 to 7.30 p.m. on 570 a.m. We also stream live on the web at tscnyc.org.
0: As we will talk about how artists and musicians and singers are using their gifts and talents to glorify God and win the loss in different ways, different methods. Methods in which uh, may not necessarily be Sunday morning style message, uh, using drama and music and dance and other forms of art to glorify God and uh, perpetuate the gospel as we like to say here on TSC Music. Well, one of our own, Tiffany, Tiffany, Thompson, you might know her as Tiffany Michelle, Uh, her stage name, is going to be presenting an awesome one-woman presentation on October 25th and 26th. You need to check it out. In fact, Tiffany is here with us. Tell us about Change the Station.
1: Uh, real quick, Change the Station is a one woman play with music, and it's uh, loosely based on a true story. The reason why I say loosely is because some of the characters are still living, so uh, they're no, based no on... Names, uh, no oh, names. Yeah. No names, no. All names have been changed uh, <laughs> for the purposes of respecting people's wishes, um, and uh, it's loosely based on my testimony, and it's very raw, very real, and I reveal something um about my testimony that i've never revealed before that uh, i've been released by the lord to do so and i think it's for such a time as this that um and this, this this type of of setting that it's going to be appropriate for so
0: did you feel more comfortable doing it in a stage type environment than standing in front of a congregation and sharing that part of the testimony
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So you Absolutely. took some
0: creative license to kind of craft it and package it in a
1: sense. I did, and it, I, I just I felt free, yeah. and um, it is something um, I can't really. I want to blow the whistle here. Oh but no, it's we, something we gotta we come <laughs> see it. I got
0: a bus coming from from um, Oh yeah, no.
1: <laughs> but this is definitely something that uh, I believe is going to bless um, a lot of people. Not only unsaved. That's the that's the audi- audience that we're targeting, mm-hmm. but just people you know who who deal with shame yeah. who deal with guilt and they're in the church and they're they're working and but yet the enemy is holding this 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 cloud if you will over their head and and reminding them of their past and yeah. it's all about second chances and mm. and changing and and going forward and moving Um, and your purposes that God has ordained for you and not allowing anything, anything from your past to prevent you from doing that. Yeah,
0: yeah. the theme this week in the church has been freedom. That's that's the song that's been sung like in every service. (laughs) You know, freedom. So it's been interesting. It's interesting that we're talking about this now. Real quick, uh, tell us a little bit about what happens at Covenant. Because you go down to Covenant House and you share Mm -hmm. uh, as well. Give us a quick...
1: Sure. Um, what happens there. Covenant House, uh, if you don't know it's a crisis center for single moms and uh, the ages uh, range from 16 to 20 so they're very young and some of these women that I enter- encounter I've been going there since November 2012 and some of these women that I interact with have lived three times over, I mean they've had things happen in their lives that are just unbelievable like I couldn't even make it through it and um, I share the gospel with them um, and um, I do it in a creative way sometimes if the Lord releases me to do that Uh, whether it's spoken word or or whether it's a little monologue I do that and um, by the end of it's like a workshop setting of an hour the end of that hour I offer them the gift of Christ, mm. and some of them receive, and some of them just take the literature. I bring the Times Square Church Sparrows Ministry information there to give to them, and either way, it just works. Yeah, Whether they get saved there or they decide to come to the church, either way, plenty it's planting see <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, and then of course he sends somebody else to water it, That's and right. uh, and then he gives the increase. So. October twenty fifth, twenty sixth. That's a Friday, Friday and Saturday. Saturday
1: evening, seven p.m. Tell
0: them where they can see um, this production. It's
1: at Harvest Fields um, Community Church, and it's in the Bronx, and it's um, the address is twenty six twenty six East Tremont, Bronx, New York. So
0: be there, be on, be on time because my my bus loads will probably yes, fill up. Yes, we're going to start on time. You know, so. <laughs> uh, what time do you start? Seven p.m. Seven p.m. And this is again change. The The Station station. Change Change the the Station station. Featuring Tiffany Michelle You guys gotta be there TSC Music will be there In full color And all of our effects And (laughs) and full
1: support Make sure you're there Go check it out Go on Facebook Yes Facebook You can go to Tiffany Michelle Um, You can see the poster On my page Uh, Other pages People that have shared it For me Which I'm just So humbled at They've done the same thing So it's all over Facebook
0: Change the Station Check it out
2: all right, so switching gears a bit here, uh-huh. I know between social media and email, you have been bombarded with different versions of this question for the last several months. Okay. <laughs> Why did we get rid of the choir robes? Oh, and, my and goodness. And to backtrack, for those who don't <laughs> attend Times Square Church or don't stream online, uh, a few mo- up until a few months ago, Times Square Church Choir wore some beige and, and mauve tan, and tan mauve, yeah, whatever that choir is. robes yeah. for years. <laughs> and then one Sunday, folks showed up for church or tuned in to stream, and there were no choir robes. What happened?
0: Well, God spoke, and uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the deal, because, yeah, we have had a lot of people asking about this. In fact, I've had people write and say uh, things on the line that, uh, you know, I don't want my children to be um, uh, sidetracked or steered away from God because you're not in your robe. And I thought that was pretty scary. (laughs) Yes. And so I thought about that. I was like, wow, people can get attached to many different elements in the in the uh, worship environment that that they make it focus. You know, because we talked on the podcast before about the elements that we bring into our atmosphere of worship and robes are one of them. You know, when you when you look at the history of the robe, uh, the choir robe. Well, the robe in general, you know, and I think it's like 470 BC, 475 BC or something like that. Greek, you know, there were, there were, um, and you can still find these, uh, these artifacts online. There were uh, uh, artifacts and pottery and things of that nature and, 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 and even, you know, almost completely whole bodies that were discovered that, that indicated that singers and dancers uh were uniformed hmm. now they're biblical
2: in the church or just in culture in, general, in, in, in the time.
0: culture uh-huh. and and when you look in scripture in the old testament you'll find that it's as well that many of the singers were uh, a unified and an organized body not the dancers dancers were not a unified mm-hmm. organized body because everybody was able to just in, you know to do what what was called a liturgical dance in other words uh but the singers were appointed they were a specific people and and, I, and and it's believed that the robe was a direct result of this culture this 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 greek culture and uh and if you search online you'll 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 find this in many encyclopedias where uh i think it was first pottery that was discovered uh, by some archaeologists who noticed that the singers and the musicians were all dressed alike and this is uh, uh you know original Greek stuff here uh that they were all dressed alike, and so that kind of morphed into the church when you look at Old Testament and you look at the uh, the Levites and you look at the children of Ethan and Jonathan and et cetera, that they were all dressed in scripture says and in, in, uh in linen. They were all dressed in a specific type of clothing, uh, which indicates that they were all dressed alike. And So that has kind of morphed into the Church of Jesus Christ. In the, in the New Testament church, if you will, on the modern day church, uh, there is no biblical reference. There's no biblical mandate for robes. Of any kind with regards to the, the, the music ministry. It's something that just kind of grew and evolved and it, it became a mainstay. It became one of those elements in our worship atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, the robe doesn't make you sing better. It doesn't make you holier. Nothing comes upon you when you put the <laughs> robe on Sunday morning that wasn't already on you. Saturday night, uh-huh. you understand. And I think the mentality for a lot of people is that, you know, when I put that robe on, I'm a different person. Uh-huh. You know, it's like Superman going into the, the <laughs> booth, you know, and all of a sudden I'm this put super Christian. Super yeah. And so uh we got rid of the robe for a few reasons. That's not one of them. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to say that because I think a lot of people think that the robe is something God mandated, and it's yeah. not. Uh, there's no scriptural basis for that. Um, are there
2: benefits to it, though? There Have are you benefits seen in your to,
0: to robes, and there are major uh, disadvantages okay. to having robes. And I'll talk about those in a minute. But we got rid of them because, one, they were very old. We've had that same yes. robe for a long time. They were frail, and whenever those robes got, you know, needed stitching or needed to be repaired, it was a huge amount of money for the church to just continue to maintain those robes, the dry cleaning it was expensive. And then when new people came to the choir, we had to buy a new robe, you know, because we, we didn't, it's not like we had a stockpile of them. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes people left and uh, when they left the choir, they either didn't bring the robe back because the robe was technically property of the church. Yeah. So I started looking at the numbers and I'm saying, well, God, I know you want us to be better stewards over what you you know, called us to manage. And I mm-hmm. think we just manage God's money. We don't own it. Um, and uh, when I did the numbers, I looked at the numbers and said, well, this doesn't make sense. Let's, let's just can the robes for for, even if it's just for a season, let's can it until we come up with a better system. And so we did. And, uh, so primarily for those two reasons. Uh, and then of course, the third reason, uh, when I look at it spiritually, there was no reason for us to have the robes. Now, let me go to the advantages and the disadvantages. I've, I have worked with churches and I am not exaggerating when I say this, that the choirs would get a new robe every year.
2: That's a lot of robes every
0: year, uh, and in some cases two years. You know, and and the and the robe uh, selection was a major process. It was just like it was just like Democrats and Republicans having to come together and decide on a bill. I am not kidding. I've seen major fights and disagreements, and and church meetings over the kind of robe. I've seen robe companies come in and have these meetings with these church, you know, these organizations come in and they have these meetings with the churches and the music ministry. And, and it'd be the biggest fiasco you'd ever seen in your life. And every year for the church anniversary or the choir anniversary. And some of you listeners know exactly what I'm talking the choir about. Choir
2: anniversary. Choir
0: anniversary. Um, um, uh, and if you, yeah, if you're listening and you know what that means, I want you to write because we need to talk about that <laughs> on this podcast. Is it the
2: anniversary of when the choir f- was formed?
0: It, it depends. It could be the anniversary when the choir was formed or in the anniversary when the choir was named or the anniversary when the choir got a new choir director. It depends on what circle you're in. Uh, so the robe was a big distraction uh, for a lot of, for a lot of ministries, and so uh, on top of the fact that the cost can just be uh, uh, tremendous, um, it was easier for us to give the choir a break because they were lugging them around, having to stuff them in their lockers and dry, get them dry clean, and this that and the other. Uh, and the choir was it was a big sigh of relief for them uh, when they came to church. And then, of course, when you do that, you always take the risk of having to deal with proper attire. You know, what's acceptable, what's not. How low should my shirt be? My V-b, you know. How wide should the whatever the collar be? You know, you and you get into all of that and then you got to deal with color coordination and you know, no glitter, what's acceptable, what's not. And we've had to go through that, but I thank God for this group of people who are uh very easy to work with. So, in short, the short answer is it was too expensive. Uh, they were old and they serve no spiritual significance.
2: <laughs> all right. I think we've answered that one. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So one last question, and this is a big one, and I don't know if we'll be able to answer it in full on this podcast, uh-huh. but maybe it can, it can spark, um, some further discussion. Um, this one's one that's been bouncing around here in the office and on social media with, uh, some Some folks who work here and mm-hmm. and friends and everything but and it 's one that i 've been wanting to address on this podcast for a while. What is anointing
0: anointing. Wow. Yeah. There's a part two to this. I know.
2: So I said, let me just, let's just, let's just touch it and then maybe we come back. Because it is, it's one of those, I mean, my thought is, it's one of those words that we throw around a lot. Yeah. yeah. That we talk a lot about or we use a lot, especially in terms of music ministry. And we, you know, we're always saying even here, like, you know, it's not necessarily about being the most talented person, but it's Mm -hmm. the anointing that where the power really is in a, a, a worshiper or whatever. So what does that really
0: mean? Well, let me start answering it by saying what it's not because you just use the word. That's where the power is. Uh, anointing is not a superpower. <laughs> it, it's not something that somebody can walk over to you, put their hand on you or put a bottle of oil on you. And all of a sudden you have the ability to do something that you weren't able to do a minute ago. That's not an anointing. Um, it's not a, a super ability uh, it's, it's, it, it's not a, uh, a stamp of, of higher calling for lack of a better term that you are any better than the next person. So mm-hmm. that's what it's not. Uh, when you look at anointing throughout the old Testament, first of all, especially in, in first and second, uh, Kings, it was God who did the anointing. So, so let's start there because a lot of times we have thrown this phrase around, and in other, in other church circles, in other circles, you will find other leaders who will come over and anoint you, and all of a sudden, people, you know, walk away from that feeling like they've got this superpower to do something that they weren't able to do five minutes ago, and, and that's not what it is. In the Old Testament, God did all the anointing, and then there were symbolic or or public. Displays of public demonstrations or public approval services, I'm going to call them, where that anointing was made public. Where uh, when David was, was appointed uh, king, the scripture says that God had anointed him to be king, but then God sent somebody to lay hands on him or to anoint him publicly as king. So it was a public uh, declaration that David has been chosen by God To be king at this time, but but you got to go back to the fact that the scripture always says that God said that God said that God said you would be king. So, or that God has anointed you. In fact, I gotta I gotta pull up a couple verses now that I'm saying it because I don't want people to think that I'm uh, (laughs) just making this up here. Uh, When you look at well, I said first and second kings, so let's just go there. If you look at kings. Uh, let's look at chapter. Well, look chapter one. Uh, look at verse forty-five. Actually, you look at Second Samuel. I'm going to go to Second Samuel. I'm going to go to a chapter, a book prior to that. Second Samuel twenty-three one, and this is uh, um, the, the latter part of that verse. You see that David, the man anointed by God or by the God of Jacob. You know, and all the scripture throughout First and Second Samuel, throughout First and Second Kings, you'll see that it was the Lord. It this is what the Lord says, and it's in quotes. And and Second Kings, this is what the Lord says: I anointed you to be king over Israel. It's always the Lord saying, "I anointed you," and then He sends somebody. He sends a prophet to come and make a public declaration that God has chosen him, and so that that anointing then. S- Signifies or indicates that that individual has spent quality time and spends quality time in the presence of God. And so when we talk about the older woman, and, and it's got nothing to do with age, but I'm going to use this as an example because we've used it before. We're talking about this older woman who follows this young super talent And they both sing the same song. This young talent will sing Amazing Grace, and they're riffing And they got all the things, and they got the crowd and the buzz, yada, yada, yada. And everybody's jumping up and down because they sang it so well. And then this 78, (laughs) 90-year-old woman stands up and sings the next verse. And her voice is all broken and cracked. But then something happens. There's a presence of God that is undeniable. See, that's an anointing as opposed to... Uh, just a talent. You follow me? This is a woman who has walked with God, who has spent some time with God, who has now made the song personal and intimate. She is anointed to sing that song at that moment more than this individual is. Now, I don't think, I think, and I believe that there are levels of anointing, there are degrees of anointing. Uh, I think there are people who are more anointed than others. And I think a lot of times, in, and especially in the church and in, in music, we confuse anointing and talent. It's because your talent doesn't make you anointed to do anything. And uh, I think anointing comes from being, uh, from from having a heart after God's own heart. David had a heart after God's own. He was a man after God's own heart. Um, uh, and every appointment throughout Scripture was, or every anointing throughout Scripture was, a result of that person having a heart after God's own heart, or being a man or woman after God's own heart. That's when an anointing comes. That's a public declaration that God is saying. I approve this message. Yeah, I think you can look at people like Carter Collin, David Wilkerson, uh, Billy Graham. And I'm just naming names that everybody mm-hmm. knows. Uh, you could look at people. Hey, you can look at people like Marvin Winings. You know, and there's certain people who are anointed to do what they do. This, it's undeniable, not just because not because they're skilled or talented or they have uh, charisma. Yeah. You know, it's beyond that. It is that when they speak, there's an authority. Not only do people listen, but things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Pastor David has a track record. Billy Graham has a track record of being anointed by God to do what he does, to, to be an anointed to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ and people people's lives be changed. Where and, and that doesn't mean that the person, the preacher that you don't know isn't anointed. It just yeah. means that there's a level of anointing here that God— God himself has approved. I approve this message, and I approve this messenger.
2: So what are then the hallmarks or the, the benchmarks or the, or the identifying factors that you can say or that you can tell if someone or you can tell if yourself is anointed?
0: I think one of the keys to, a, to being anointed is being obedient to God. I think it is. In fact, I think that is the first key being obedient to the Word of God because we, we can't expect God to dwell with us or or expect God to approve us if we are not proving and approving His Word, period. And what I mean by approving it, I mean we, we are making a declaration that we stand with it, we stand by it, we live by it. Uh, it is the first, in my, in my opinion, the first step to becoming uh, anointed and that is obedience to God. And I think out of obedience to God, out of obedience to His Word, everything else will fall in line. But it starts there, and uh, you can tack on as many other things as you feel necessary in that regard. But if you don't have obedience to the Word of God, there there is no anointing. David was obedient to the born to the literally to the point of dying, <laughs> you know. But then our ultimate our ultimate uh, uh, example of anointed is Jesus Christ to the point of going to the cross, you know. Um, uh, there was no doubt that God approved him. This is my son, and whom I am well pleased. That was an anointing right there, you know. Uh, and we can get into all the oil and all of the other symbolic things later. But um, you know, I've been anointed with oil, and I, I wasn't able to run any faster, jump any higher, sing any better. It wasn't until I became obedient to God. That that public demonstration of that anointing meant something, you know. For some people, they get on every oil line, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But that oil was bought in a store. Yeah, it was manufactured. You understand? Yeah. Now and then now and I hope people were right because I know that there are people saying, "Yeah, but the man of God prayed over that oil and and now it's an anoint it's anointed oil. It's anointing oil." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So merely, so then, you know, merely having fans or having a lot of attracting followers, or, or, you know, being pleasing to listen to, mm-hmm. and that you know a lot of people enjoy your music right. does not necessarily make Doesn't you anointed. Make then
0: you anointed at all. Yeah.
2: So where uh, scripturally, and I know we'll, we'll, we should come back to this with mm-hmm. with, with follow up, but scripturally, where are some places to to look? In terms of digging into this concept of anointing a little more, well, I think
0: First and Second Samuel, you want to look at the life of David. You want to look at the Psalms, uh, all of them, because uh, David clearly uh, indicates where his anointing comes from. Uh, you want to look at First and Second Kings. You know, you can read through there. Um, I would start in those in those books. Um, I mean, if you want to get into other levels, other areas, you can look at Leviticus. You know, the different types of anointing for different situations. Um, but I think when you talk about a general anointing to do, you, you, you can certainly look at first and second Kings, first and second Samuel, uh, follow, look at David's life, look at, read the Psalms.
2: Yeah. And maybe we can come back and talk a little bit more about anointing and how it relates to worship and how it relates Absolutely. to music ministry. Yeah. Have because, a whole discussion on that. But I
0: think you hit on it because just because you have a huge following or people think you are charismatic mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have an anointing. You know, there's some things that I know I'm called and anointed to do, but I don't walk around wearing I'm anointed on my sleeve, you know, uh, you know, passing out that anointed obnoxious, business obnoxious. cards. <laughs> you know, well, People do it, you yeah. know, they give you their business card that says, you know, anointed trumpeteer or, or yeah. anointed man of God here and I'm available for services. Well, if you're so anointed, then why do you have to publicize it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I know there have got to be more questions out there That you would like for us to tackle on this podcast If you're listening, don't be shy uh, Write us, uh, email us, hit us up on Facebook Don't even wait for us to put the question out there Soliciting questions Just throw, throw them on our on our Twitter, on our Facebook Hit us up with your questions that you have Kind of burning on your heart That you'd like us to maybe maybe tackle a little bit Something that's always kind of nagged at you That you wanted somebody that you could ask about it As it relates to music, ministry, life, you name it. Send us your questions. We'll see how we can tackle them a little bit.
0: And remember, if ever we put the messenger before the message, we have failed to present an unblemished gospel. I'm Greg Thomas. Join us again next time on TSC Music with a Mission.
2: Take joy, my king, in what you hear, and let it be a sweet sound in your ear. We sincerely hope and pray that this podcast is a sweet sound in your ear. We also hope you'll join the conversation online, because music with a mission doesn't end here. So check out TSC Music on Facebook to share your thoughts and get regular updates. Follow us on Twitter at TSC Music Tweet, and don't forget to use the hashtag Podcast. Watch and share videos on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash TV. And of course, you can always email us at music at timesquarechurch.org or visit the website tscnyc.org slash music. Portions of music in this podcast provided by TSC Music, produced by the director of TSC Music, Greg Thomas, mixed and engineered by Harry Vaughn, and I'm the project manager, Jesse Carrasco. Coming up next week, we hear from the Gospel Youth Group, Livre.